Welcome to the Theology for You podcast, where we believe that a right understanding of God's Word is for your good and true worship of God. If you're just joining us, I'm Joey, and I'd love to encourage you to share this with a friend. If we've helped you to grow in your faith and understanding of God in this episode or any other episode, maybe send your friend a text or DM on Instagram all about this podcast. It would mean the world to us if you would share this with the other believers in your life, those who want to grow in their faith and understanding of God and His Word. Welcome back to our series on how to share the gospel. So far, we've established that because God is our creator, our owner, we are accountable to follow His instructions for a life centered on Him. We are to love God perfectly and love others completely. And we're to do this both in our actions and in our attitudes. Yet, we are incapable of reaching God's standards. And in today's lesson, this third lesson of our series, we're gonna look at what we do instead. When we don't live life in a manner that is pleasing to God, when we are not living life in a God-centered way, we are living it in a self-centered way. And anytime we disobey God, when we disobey God in our mind or in our actions, this is called what? It's sin. So failing to obey and to love God is sin. And what do we know about sin? Well, sin separates us from God. Because God is perfect and he's holy and is righteous, and Pastor Craig pointed this out in the sermon a few weeks ago, even one sin separates us completely from God. And so sin separates us from God and our relationship with God is broken. And now there is a huge gap and we're unable to please God and change for the better. And many people try to, we all try in some way to please God by trying to quote unquote do. We try and please God by doing good and end up failing. We try and please God by starting to do religious things, by going to church, by reading our Bibles, by praying. But in and of themselves, none of these things are powerful enough to save us because it's something we are trying to do and we fall way short. We do not do these things perfectly. And so not only do we start trying to do the right things or start doing, excuse me, we start, we try to start doing the right things, but we also try and stop doing the wrong things. But ultimately we fall uh, way short. We can never do enough to be made right With God, There's nothing that we can do in our own power, in our own strength that will give us even a glimmer of of hope into making our relationship right with God. Why? Because it's not just that we sin, but it's that we have a sinful nature. We are in and of ourselves have a sinful nature. And In our lives, God requires perfect obedience. Romans 3.20 says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So Romans 3.20 teaches us that there is nothing that we can do to be justified in God's sight. 
For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. There's nothing we do. And later on in the book of Romans, in the end of chapter 14, even what we do and we try to do something that does not proceed from faith is sin. This is Romans 14, 23. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So even the good we try and do is sin if it's not rooted in faith in God. And so, as I just mentioned before, it's not that we're just people who commit sinful acts, but it's that in our very nature, we are sinful. And so when we remove God from his rightful place at the center of our lives, other things rush in to fill that center. And that center becomes and is defined as selfishness. When God is not at the center of our lives, when we are not living a life of God-centered living, we are living a life of selfishness. And so, again, as a reminder, point one, since God made you, you belong to him and are accountable to follow his instructions for a relationship of love centered on him. This is point two. The two rules for God-centered living of perfect love for God and others shows us that God's requirements measure all our actions and attitudes. And point three, having become self-centered, you are separated from God, unable to earn forgiveness, addicted to your desires, experiencing guilt, and headed down the road to a hopeless eternity. In our very nature, on our own, we have a hopeless eternity. And what we've been trying to share over the past few weeks, and what I hope that we can all see, is when we redefine the biblical God, you can deny the seriousness of sins. And I'm afraid that's largely what has happened in American evangelicalism, in American uh, evangelism uh, today. As God has not been correctly defined, and so we have an incorrect picture of what our sinful nature is. And so in our evangelism, when we remind people who God is, we rightly show them who they are, both in terms of their significance and in terms of the horror of their sinfulness. And I'm quoting from Will Metzger here. We as human beings people must come to a right understanding of God. And in a right understanding of God, we get a right understanding of our sinful nature. And with a right understanding of a, our sinful nature that affects us, we're going to have a conviction of sin. And so if you have your Bible, would you open up to Psalm 51? We're going to look at a depiction of confession, of uh, penitence, of what does it mean to truly be convicted of sin. And this is what is so important for people when we're sharing the gospel. People must have a, a right understanding, a true conviction of sin. It's not that they just have to intellectually come to a knowledge of the truth and believe that truth. Even the demons believe the truths about who God is. 
and even their own sinful nature. But they have to be convicted. We have to be convicted of our sin. And so if you are with me in Psalm 51, we're just going to read Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. And we're actually going to stop there. So in this psalm, this is a psalm of of David, and David is confessing before God. He has been confronted by Samuel in his sin. So David is made aware of his sin. And David is showing a, a, a picture of what it means to be penitent, what it means to be repentant, What does it truly mean to be convicted of sin? And J.I. Packer helpfully sums true conviction of sin up from Psalm 51 in this way. Number one, we have to have an awareness of a wrong relationship with God. We see this right off the bat in, in Psalm 51, verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. There is a direct acknowledgement that David is in wrong relationship with God. He needs mercy from God. And so in our conviction of sin, true conviction of sin has an awareness of a wrong relationship with God, not just with self or others or a general sense of need, but a specific need of reconciliation with God. We see this also in verse four when David says, against you, God, against you, You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So a true conviction of sin is based on awareness of a wrong relationship with God and a conviction of sins, a sense of guilt for particular wrongs, a sense in mind of certain things that we have done that is sinning against God. In verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. We need to see sin for what it is. We need to acknowledge our sin, the things that we have done. But I think this third point is one of the missing elements in a lot of evangelicalism. And that is 
It's not just acknowledgement of our sin, but it's an acknowledgement of our sinfulness, our sinful nature. So we have a awareness of a wrong relationship with God, a conviction of sins, and also, thirdly, a conviction of sinfulness, a sense of helplessness to do right and the consequent need of a new heart or rebirth. Any goodness that we can try to claim is not inherent, but it's purely derived from God. Our righteousness is not good enough, either qualitatively or quantitatively. David in in verse five, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And then in verse 10, this is really the the turning point, created me a clean heart, O God. David gets to the the heart of the matter. He gets down all the way to the, the innermost part of his being that he needs a new heart. There's nothing that he can do in his own power to be made right with God. He needs a new heart. And we, without Christ, and people in the world without Christ, they need new hearts. And we need a right spirit within us. And so a true conviction of sin is awareness of a wrong relationship with God, a conviction of sins, and a conviction of sinfulness. And that wraps up tonight's lesson on what sin is. Sin is self-centered living. The third point is having become self-centered, you are separated from God, unable to earn forgiveness, addicted to your desires, experiencing guilt, and headed down the road to a hopeless eternity. I am so thankful to the Lord that the story does not end there because Jesus is the way back to life. But before we can get to the God-given solution to our dilemma, it may be good at this point in our gospel presentation to pause for a time of review and reflection. By asking a few questions, you can help determine the level of understanding that the person has based on what has been stated so far and to see if they have been affected by the gospel presentation. And that's what we'll look at in our next lesson. If you want to go deeper in your understanding of God and His Word, I want to encourage you to check out our resources at theologyforyou.com. That's theology, F-O-R-Y-O-U.com. I want to thank you if you have rated or reviewed this podcast on Apple iTunes. That's a way to help get this podcast in front of other people who want to grow in their faith and deepen their relationship with God. So thank you for helping other people grow in their faith by rating or reviewing this podcast.